0: Hi everyone, my name's Otis Gray and you're listening to Sleepy, a podcast where I read old books to help you fall asleep. I've only just started this podcast and I've realized that the only books I'd be able to read here are old books that are in the public domain. It was amazing when I found this out and looked into how many books just belong to everybody now, mostly old books. Classics like Shakespeare, Emily Dickinson, and Mark Twain. So many books that I've wanted to read for a long, long time. And I've always just found an excuse not to take the time to do it. Now I get to read them to you while you fall into a deep, deep slumber. Just because I hope you'll be asleep by the end of this, I just want to say now that the music you're hearing is by my good friend James Lepkowski. played this on an amazing guitar ukulele thing that he made tonight i get to read a story i've wanted to for a long time it's alice in wonderland by lewis carroll i feel like we've all seen the animated version but not many of us have read the book it's kind of perfect for drifting off into a kind of absurdity i mean it's all about falling into a kind of dream right I hope I can stay awake long enough to read it to you. So, lay your head down, settle in, fix your pillow just how you like it, slowly melt into your bed and close your eyes and let me read to you. Down the rabbit hole, Alice was beginning to get very tired of sitting by her sister on the bank and having nothing to do. Once or twice she had peeped into the book that her sister was reading, but it had no pictures or conversations in it. And what is the use of this book, thought Alice, without pictures or conversations. So she was considering in her own mind, as well as she could, for the hot day made her feel very sleepy and stupid whether the pleasure of making a daisy chain would be worth the trouble of getting up and picking the daisies, when suddenly a white rabbit with pink eyes ran close by her. There was nothing so very remarkable in that, nor did Alice think it very much out of the way to hear the rabbit say to itself, Oh dear, oh dear, I shall be late. When she thought of it afterwards, it occurred to her that she might have wondered at this but at the time it all seemed quite natural. But when the rabbit actually took a watch out of its waistcoat pocket and looked at it, and then hurried on, Alice started to her feet, for it flashed across her mind that she had never before seen a rabbit with either a waistcoat pocket or a watch to take it out of. And burning with curiosity, she ran across the field after it, and fortunately was just in time to see it pop down a large rabbit hole under the hedge. In another moment, down went Alice after it, never once considering how in the world she was to get out again. The rabbit hole went straight on like a tunnel for some way, and then dipped suddenly down, so suddenly that Alice had not a moment to think about stopping herself, before she found herself falling down a very deep well. Either the well was very deep, where she fell very slowly, for she had plenty of time, as she went down to look about her and to wonder what was going to happen next. First, she tried to look down and make out what she was coming to, but it was too dark to see anything. Then she looked at the sides of the well and noticed that they were filled with cupboards and bookshelves. Here and there she saw maps and pictures hung upon the pegs. She took down a jar from one of the shelves as she passed, it was labeled Orange Marmalade, but to her great disappointment it was empty. She did not like to drop the jar for fear of killing somebody, so managed to put it in one of the cupboards as she fell past it. Well, thought Alice to herself, after such a fall as this, I shall think nothing of tumbling downstairs. How brave they'll think me at home! Why, I wouldn't say anything about it, even if I fell off the top of a house, which was very likely true. Down, down, down. Would the fall never come to an end? I wonder how many miles I've fallen by this time, she said aloud. I must be getting somewhere near the center of the earth. Let me see. That would be 4,000 miles down, I think. For you see... Alice had learnt several things of this sort in her lessons in the schoolroom, and though this was not a very good opportunity for showing off her knowledge, as there was no one to listen to her, still, it was good practice to say it over. Yes, that's about the right distance, but then I wonder what latitude or longitude I've got to. Alice had no idea what latitude was, or longitude either, but thought they were nice grand words to say. Presently she began again. I wonder if I shall fall right through the earth. How funny it'll seem to come out among the people that walk with their heads downward. The antipathies, I think. She was rather glad there was no one listening this time, as it didn't sound at all the right word. But I shall have to ask them what the name of the country is you know. Please, ma'am. Is this New Zealand or Australia? And she tried to curtsy as she spoke. Fancy curtsying as you're falling through the air. Do you think you can manage it? And what an ignorant little girl she'll thank me for asking. No, it'll never do to ask. Perhaps I still see it written up somewhere. Down, down, down. There was nothing else to do. So Alice began talking again. Dinah will miss me very much tonight, I should think. Dinah was the cat. I hope they'll remember her saucer of milk at tea time. Dinah, my dear, I wish you were down here with me. There are no mice in the air, I'm afraid, but you might catch a bat. And that's very like a mouse, you know. But do cats eat bats, I wonder. And here, Alice began to get rather sleepy, and went on saying to herself... In a dreamy sort of way. Do cats eat bats? Do cats eat bats? And sometimes, do bats eat cats? Or you see, as she couldn't answer either question, it didn't much matter which way she put it. She felt that she was dozing off, and had just begun to dream that she was walking hand in hand with Dinah, and saying to her very earnestly, Now, Dinah, tell me the truth. Did you ever eat a bat? And suddenly, thump, thump. Down she came upon a heap of sticks and dry leaves, and the fall was over. Alice was not a bit hurt, but she jumped up to her feet in a moment and looked up. But it was all dark overhead, before her another long passage, and the white rabbit was still in sight, hurrying down it. There was not a moment to be lost, Away went Alice like the wind, and it was just in time to hear it say as it turned a corner. Oh, my ears and whiskers, how late it's getting. She was close behind it when it turned the corner, but the rabbit was no longer to be seen. She found herself in a long, low hall, which was lit up by a row of lamps hanging from the roof. There were doors all around the hall, but they were all locked, and when Alice had been all the way down one side and up the other, trying every door, she walked sadly down the middle, wondering how she was ever going to get out again. Suddenly, suddenly she came upon a little three-legged table, all made of solid glass. There was nothing on it except a tiny, golden key, and Alice's first thought was that it might belong to one of the doors of the hall. But alas... Either the locks were too large, or the key was too small, but at any rate, it would not open any of them. However, on the second time around, she came upon a low curtain she had not noticed before, and behind it was a little door about fifteen inches high. She tried the little golden key in the lock, and to her great delight it fitted. Alice opened the door and found that it led to a small passage not much larger than a rat hole. She knelt down and looked along the passage into the loveliest garden you ever saw. How she longed to get out of that dark hall and wander about among those beds of bright flowers and those cool fountains. But she could not even get her head through the doorway. And even if my head would go through, thought poor Alice, it would be very little use without my shoulders. Oh, how I wish I could shut up like a telescope. I think I could, if only I knew where to begin. For you see, so many out of the way things had happened lately, that Alice had begun to think that very few things indeed were really impossible. There seemed to be no use in waiting by the little door, so she went back to the table, half hoping she might find another key on it, or at any rate, a book of rules for shutting people up like telescopes. This time she found a little bottle on it, which certainly was not there before, said Alice, and round the neck of the bottle was a paper label with the words, Drink Me, beautifully printed out in large letters. It was all very well to say, Drink Me, but the wise little Alice was not going to do that in a hurry. No, I'll look first, she said, and see whether it's marked poison or not. For she had read several nice little histories about children who had got burnt and eaten up by wild beasts and other unpleasant things, all because they would not remember the simple rules their friends had taught them, such as that a red-hot poker will burn you if you hold it for too long, and that if you cut your finger very deeply with a knife, it usually bleeds And she had never forgotten that. If you drink much from a bottle marked poison, it's almost certain to disagree with you sooner or later. However, this bottle was not marked poison, so Alice ventured to taste it and finding it very nice, it had in fact a sort of mixed flavor of cherry tart, custard, pineapple, roast turkey, toffee and hot butter toast. She soon finished it off. "What a curious feeling," said Alice. "I must be shutting up like a telescope." And so it was indeed. She was now only 10 inches high, and her face brightened up at the thought that she was now the right size for going through the little door into that lovely garden. First, however, she waited for a few minutes to see if she was going to shrink any further. She felt a little nervous about this, for it might end, you know, said Alice to herself, in my going out altogether like a candle. I wonder what I should be like then. And she tried to fancy what the flame of a candle is like after the candle is blown out, for she cannot remember ever having seen such a thing. After a while, that nothing more happened, she decided on going into the garden at once. But alas, for poor Alice, when she got to the door, she found she had forgotten the little golden key, and when she went back to the table for it, she found she could not possibly reach it. She could see it quite plainly through the glass, and she tried her best to climb up one of the legs of the table, but it was too slippery, and when she had tied herself out with trying, the poor little thing sat down and cried. Come, there's no use in crying like that, said Alice to herself, rather sharply. I advise you to leave off this minute. She generally gave herself very good advice, though she very seldom followed it. And sometimes she scolded herself so severely as to bring tears to her eyes. And once she remembered trying to box her own ears for having cheated herself in a game of croquet she was playing against herself, for this curious child was very fond of pretending to be two people. But it's no use now, thought poor Alice, to pretend to be two people. Why, there's hardly enough of me to make one respectable person. Soon her eye fell on a little glass box that was lying under the table. She opened it and found in it a very small cake on which the words, eat me, were beautifully marked in currants. "'Well, I'll eat it,' said Alice. "'And if it makes me grow larger, "'I can reach the key. "'And if it makes me grow smaller, "'I can creep under the door. "'So either way, I'll get into the garden, "'and I don't care which happens.' "'She ate a little bit "'and said anxiously to herself, "'Which way? Which way?' "'Holding her hand on the top of her head "'to feel which way it was growing. "'And she was quite surprised,' to find that she had remained the same size. To be sure, this generally happens when one eats cake. But Alice had got so much into the way of expecting nothing but out-of-the-way things to happen that it seemed quite dull and stupid for life to go on in the common way. So she set to work and very soon finished off the cake. The Pool of Tears Curiouser and curiouser cried Alice. She was so much surprised that for a moment she forgot quite how to speak good English. Now I'm opening out like the largest telescope that there ever was. Goodbye feet. For when she looked down at her feet they seemed to be almost out of sight. They were getting so far off. Oh my poor little feet. I wonder who will put on your shoes and stockings for you now dears. I'm sure I shan't be able. I shall be a great deal too far off to trouble myself about you. You must manage the best way you can. But I must be kind to them, thought Alice. Or perhaps they won't walk the way I want to go. Let me see. I'll give them a new pair of boots every Christmas. And she went on planning to herself how she could manage it. They must go by carrier, she thought. And how funny it'll seem, sending presents to one's own feet. And how odd the directions will look. Alice's right foot, Esquire, hearthrug, near the fender, with Alice's love. Oh dear, what nonsense I'm talking. Just then her head struck against the roof of the hall. In fact, she was now more than nine feet high, and she at once took up the little golden key and hurried off to the garden door. Poor Alice. It was as much as she could do, lying down on one side to look through into the garden with one eye, but to get through was more hopeless than ever. She sat down and began to cry again. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, said Alice, a great girl like you. She might well say this, to go on crying this way, stop this moment, I tell you. But she went on all the same, shedding gallons of tears, until there was a large pool all around her, about four inches deep, and reaching half down the hall. After a time, she heard a little pattering of feet in the distance, and she hastily dried her eyes as he was coming. It was the white rabbit returning, splendidly dressed with a pair of white kid gloves in one hand and a large fan in the other. He came trotting along in a great hurry, muttering to himself as he came, Oh, the Duchess, the Duchess, oh, won't she be savage if I've kept her waiting? Alice felt so desperate that she was ready to ask help of anyone, so when the rabbit came near her, She began in a low, timid voice. If you please, sir. The rabbit started violently, dropped the white kid gloves in the fan, and scurried away down the darkness as hard as he could go. Alice took up the fan and the gloves, and as the hall was very hot, she kept fanning herself all the way as she kept on talking. Dear, dear, how queer everything is today, and yesterday things went on just as usual. I wonder if I've been changed in the night. Let me think. Was I the same when I got up this morning? I almost think I can remember feeling a little different. But if I'm not the same, the next question is, who in the world am I? Ah, that's a great puzzle. And she began thinking over all the children she knew that were of the same age as herself to see if she could have been changed for any of them. I'm sure I'm not Ada, she said for her hair goes in such long ringlets, and mine doesn't go in ringlets at all. And I'm sure I can't be Mabel, for I know all sorts of things. And she, oh, she knows such a very little. Besides, she's she, and I'm I, and, oh dear, how puzzling all this is. I'll try if I know all these things I used to know. Let me see. Four times five is twelve, and four times six is thirteen. And four times seven is, oh dear, I shall never get to twenty at that rate. However, the multiplication table doesn't signify. Let's try geography. London is the capital of Paris. And Paris is the capital of Rome. And Rome, no, that's all wrong, I'm certain. I must have been changed for Mabel. I'll try and say, how doth the little. And she crossed her hands on her lap as if she were saying lessons, and began to repeat it, but her voice sounded hoarse and strange, and the words did not come the same as they used to. How doth the little crocodile improve his shining tail, and pour the waters of the Nile on every golden scale! How cheerfully he seems to grin, how neatly spread his claws, and welcome little fishes in with gently smiling jaws! I'm sure those are not the right words, said poor Alice, and her eyes filled with tears again as she went. I must be Mabel after all, and I shall have to go and live in that poky little house and have next to no toys to play with, and oh, ever so many lessons to learn. No, I've made up my mind about it. If I'm Mabel, I'll stay down here. It'll be no use their putting their heads down and saying, come up again, dear. I shall only look up and say, Who am I then? Tell me that first, and then, if I like being that person, I'll come up. If not, I'll stay down here till I'm somebody else. But oh dear, cried Alice, with a sudden burst of tears, I do wish they would put their heads down. I am so very tired of being all alone here. As she said this, she looked down at her hands and was surprised to see that she had put one of the rabbit's little white kid gloves on while she was talking. How can I have done that, she thought. I must be growing small again. She got up and went to the table to measure herself by it, and found that, as nearly as she could guess, she was now about two feet high, and was going on shrinking rapidly. She soon found out that the cause of this was the fan she was holding, and she dropped it hastily, just in time to avoid shrinking away altogether. That was a narrow escape, said Alice, a good deal frightened at the sudden change, but very glad to find herself still in existence. And now for the garden. And she ran with all speed back to the little door. But alas, the door was shut again, and the little golden key was lying on the glass table as before. And things are worse than ever, thought the poor child. For I never was so small as this before. Never. And I declare it's too bad that it is. As she said these words, her foot slipped. In another moment, splash. She was up to her chin in salt water. Her first idea was that she had somehow fallen into the sea. And in that case, I can go back by railway. She said to herself, Alice had been on the seaside once in her life and i had come to the general conclusion that wherever you go on the English coast, you find a number of bathing machines in the sea, some children digging in the sand with wooden spades, then a row of lodging houses, and behind them a railway station. However, she soon made out that she was in the Pool of Tears, which she had wept when she was nine feet high. I wish I hadn't cried so much, said Alice, as she swam about, trying to find her way out. I shall be punished for it now, I suppose, by being drowned in my own tears. That will be a queer thing, to be sure. However, everything is queer today. Just then she heard something splashing about in the pool a little way off, and she swam nearer to make out what it was. At first she thought it might be a walrus or a hippopotamus, but then she remembered how small she was now, and she soon made out that it was only a mouse that had slipped in like herself, Would it be of any use now, thought Alice, to speak to this mouse? Everything is so out of the way down here that I should think very likely it can talk. At any rate, there's no harm in trying. So she began. Oh, mouse, do you know the way out of this pool? I am very tired of swimming out here, oh, mouse. Alice thought this might be the right way of speaking to a mouse. She had never done such a thing before. But she remembered, having seen her brothers in Latin grammar, a mouse of a mouse to a mouse, a mouse, oh mouse, the mouse looked at her inquisitively and seemed to hear and seemed to her to wink with one of his little eyes, but it said nothing, perhaps it doesn't understand English, thought Alice, I dare say it's a French mouse. come over with William the Conqueror, for with all her knowledge of history. Alice had no very clear notion how long ago anything had happened. So she began again. Où est ma chette? Which was the first sentence in her French lesson book. The mouse gave a sudden leap out of the water and seemed to quiver all over in fright. Oh, I beg your pardon, cried Alice hastily, afraid that she had hurt the poor animal's feelings. I quite forgot you didn't like cats. Not like cats, cried the mouse in a shrill, passionate voice. Would you like cats if you were me? Well, perhaps not, said Alice with a soothing tone. Don't be angry about it. And yet I wish I could show you our cat Dinah. I think you'd fancy the cats if you could only see her. She is such a dear, quiet thing, Alice went on, half to herself, as she swam lazily about in the pool. And she sits purring so nicely by the fire licking her paws and washing her face. And she is such a nice, soft thing to nurse. She's such a capital one for catching mice. Oh, I beg your pardon, cried Alice again. For this time, the mouse was bristling all over, and she felt certain it must be really offended. We won't talk about her any more if you'd rather not. We indeed, cried the mouse. We indeed, cried the mouse who was trembling down at the end of his tail, as if I would talk on such a subject. Our family always hated cats. Nasty, low, vulgar things. Don't let me hear the name again. I won't indeed, said Alice, in a great hurry to change the subject of the conversation. Are you, are you fond of dogs? The mouse did not answer, so Alice went on eagerly, There's such a nice little dog near our house I should like to show you. A little bright-eyed terrier, you know, with, oh, such long, curly brown hair. And it'll fetch things when you throw them. And it'll sit up and beg for its dinner. And all sorts of things. I can't remember half of them. And it belongs to a farmer, you know. And he says it's so useful. It's worth a hundred pounds. He says it kills all the rats. And, oh dear cried Alice in a sorrowful tone. I'm afraid I've offended it again, for the mouse was swimming away from her as hard as it can go and making quite a commotion in the pool as it went. So she called softly after it. Mouse, dear, do you come back again and we won't talk about cats or dogs either if you don't like them. When the mouse heard this, it turned around and swam slowly back to her. Its face was quite pale, with passion Alice thought and it said in a low, trembling voice let us get to the shore and then I'll tell you my history and you'll understand why it is that I hate cats and dogs it was high time to go for the pool was getting quite crowded with birds and animals that had fallen into it there were a duck and a dodo a lorry and an eaglet and several other curious creatures Alice led the way and the whole party swam to shore a caucus race, and a long tail. They were indeed a queer-looking party that assembled on the bank, the birds with draggled feathers, the animals with their fur clinging close to them, and all dripping wet, cross, and uncomfortable. The first question, of course, was how to get dry again. They had a consultation about this, and after a few minutes it seemed quite natural for Alice to find herself talking familiarity with them as if she had known them all her life. Indeed, she had quite a long argument with the lorry, who at last turned skulky and would only say, I am older than you and must know better. And this Alice would not allow without knowing how old it was, and as the lorry positively refused to tell its age, there was no more to be said. At last the mouse, who seemed to be a person of authority among them, called out, Sit down all of you, and listen to me. I'll soon make you dry enough. They all sat down at once in a large ring with a mouse in the middle. Alice kept her eyes anxiously fixed on it, for she felt that she would catch a bad cold if she did not get dry very soon. uh said the mouse with an important air. Are you all ready? This is the driest thing I know. Silence all around, if you please." William the Conqueror, whose cause was favored by the Pope, was soon submitted to by the English, who wanted leaders and had been of late much accustomed to usurpation and conquest. Edwin and Morcar, the earls of Mercia and Northumbria. Ugh, said the lorry with a shiver. I beg your pardon, said the mouse, frowning, but very politely. Did you speak? Not I, said the lorry hastily. I thought you did, said the mouse. I proceed. Edwin and Morcar, the earls of Mercia and Northumbria, declared for him, and even Stygian, the patriotic archbishop of Canterbury, found it advisable. Found what? said the duck. Found it, the mouse replied rather crossly. Of course you know what it means. I know what it means well enough when I find a thing said the duck. It's generally a frog or a worm. The question is, what did the Archbishop find? The mouse did not notice the question, but hurriedly went on, found it advisable to go with Edgar Atheling to meet William and offer him the crown. William's conduct at first was moderate, but insolence of his Normans but the insolence of his Normans How are you getting on now, my dear? It continued turning to Alice as it spoke. As wet as ever, said Alice in a melancholy tone. It doesn't seem dry to me at all. In that case, said the dodo solemnly, rising to its feet, I move that the meeting adjourn for the immediate adoption of more energetic remedies. Speak English, said the eaglet. I don't know the meaning of half those long words, and what's more, I don't believe you do either and the eaglet bent down its head to hide a smile. Some of the other birds tittered audibly. What I was going to say, said the dodo, in an offended tone, was that the best thing to get us dry would be a caucus race. What is a caucus race? said Alice. Not that she much wanted to know, but the dodo had paused as if it thought that somebody ought to speak, and no one else seemed inclined to say anything. Why, said the dodo, the best way to explain it is to do it. As you might like to try the thing yourself some winter day, I will tell you how the dodo managed it. First it marked out the race course, in sort of a circle. The exact shape doesn't matter, it said. And then all the party were placed along the course here and there. There was no one, two, three, in a way. But they began running when they liked, and left off when they liked so that it was not easy to know when the race was over. However, when they had been running about half an hour or so, and they were quite dry again, the dodo suddenly called out, the race is over, and they all crowded round it, panting and asking, but who has won? The question the dodo could not answer without a great deal of thought, and it sat for a long time with one finger pressed upon its forehead the position in which you usually see Shakespeare in pictures of him. While the rest waited in silence, at last the dodo said, everybody has won, and all must have prizes. But who is to give the prizes? Quite a chorus of voices asked. Why, she, of course, said the dodo, pointing to Alice with one finger, and the whole party at once crowded round her, calling out in a confused way. Prizes, prizes. Alice had no idea what to do, and in despair, she put her hand in her pocket and pulled out a box of comfits. Luckily, the salt water had not gotten to it, and handed them round as prizes. There was exactly one apiece all around. But she must have a prize herself, you know, said the mouse. Of course, the Dodo replied very gravely, what else do you have in your pocket? He went on, turning to Alice. Only a thimble, said Alice sadly. Hand it over here, said the dodo. Then they all crowded around her once more, while the dodo solemnly presented the thimble, saying, We beg your acceptance of this elegant thimble. And when it had finished this short speech, they all cheered. Alice thought the whole thing very absurd, but they all looked so grave that she did not dare to laugh and as she could not think of anything to say, she simply bowed and took the thimble, looking as solemn as she could. The next thing was to eat the comfits. This caused some noise and confusion, as the large birds complained that they could not taste theirs, and the small ones choked and had to be patted on the back. However, it was over at last, and they sat down again in the ring and begged the mouse to tell them something more. "'You promised to tell me your story, you know,' said Alice. "'And why it is you hate, see, and thee,' she added in a whisper, "'half afraid that he would be offended again. "'Mine is a long and sad tale,' said the mouse, "'turning to Alice and sighing. "'It is a long tale, certainly,' said Alice, "'looking down with wonder at the mouse's tail. "'But why do you call it sad?' "'And she kept on puzzling about it. "'While the mouse was speaking,' so that her idea of the tale was something like this. Fury said to a mouse that he met in the house, let us both go to law, I will prosecute you. Come, I'll take no denial, we must have a trial, for really this morning I have nothing to do, said the mouse to the cur. Such a trial, dear sir, with no jury or judge, would be wasting our breath. "'I'll be judge, I'll be jury,' said cunning old Fury. "'I'll try the whole cause and condemn you to death.' "'You are not attending,' said the mouse to Alice severely. "'What are you thinking of?' "'I beg your pardon,' said Alice very humbly. "'You had got to the fifth bend, I think.' "'I had not,' cried the mouse sharply and very angrily. "'A knot,' said Alice always ready to make herself useful and looking anxiously about her. Oh, do let me help you and do it. I shall do nothing of the sort, said the mouse, getting up and walking away. You insult me by talking such nonsense. I didn't mean it, pleaded poor Alice, but you're so easily offended, you know. The mouse only growled in reply. Please come back and finish your story. Alice called after it and the others all joined in a chorus. Yes, please do. But the mouse only shook its head impatiently and walked a little quicker. What a pity it wouldn't stay, sighed the lorry, as soon as it was quite out of sight, and an old crab took the opportunity of saying to her daughter, Ah, my dear, let this be a lesson to you, never to lose your temper. Hold your tongue, ma, said the young crab, a little snappishly. You're enough to try the patience of an oyster. I wish I had her Dinah here. I know I do, said Alice aloud, addressing no one in particular. She'd soon fetch it back. And who is Dinah, if I might venture to ask a question, said the lorry. Alice replied eagerly, for she was always ready to talk about her pet. Dinah's our cat, and she's such a capital one for catching mice you can't think. And oh... I wish you could see her after the birds. Why, she'll eat a little bird as soon as look at it. This speech caused a remarkable sensation among the party. Some of the birds hurried off at once. One old magpie began wrapping itself up very carefully, remarking, I really must be getting home. The night air doesn't suit my throat. And a canary called out in a trembling voice to its children, Come away, my dears. It's high time you were all in bed. On various pretexts, they all moved off, and Alice was soon left alone. I wish I hadn't mentioned Dinah, she said to herself in a melancholy tone. Nobody seemed to like her. Nobody seemed to like her down here, and I'm sure she's the best cat in the world. Oh, my dear Dinah, I wonder if I shall ever see you any more. And here, poor Alice began to cry again. She felt very lonely and low-spirited. In a little while, however, she again heard a little pattering of footsteps in the distance, and she looked up eagerly, half hoping that the mouse had changed his mind and was coming back to finish his story. The rabbit sends a little bill. It was the white rabbit, trotting slowly back again and looking anxiously about as it went, as if it had seen something, and she heard it muttering to itself, The Duchess, The Duchess. Oh, my dear paws. Oh, my fur and whiskers. She'll get executed, as sure as ferrets are ferrets. Where can I have dropped them, I wonder? Alice guessed in a moment that it was looking for the fan and the pair of white kid gloves, and she very good naturedly began hunting about for them. But they were nowhere to be seen. Everything seemed to have changed since her swim in the pool and the great hall with the glass table and the little door, had vanished completely. Very soon, the rabbit noticed Alice as she went hurrying about and called out to her in an angry tone. Why, Marianne, what are you doing here? Run home this moment and fetch me a pair of gloves and fan. Quick, now. And Alice was so much frightened that she ran off at once in the direction it pointed to, without trying to explain the mistake it had made. He took me for a housemaid, she said to herself as she ran. How surprised he'll be when he finds out who I am, but I'd better take him as fan and gloves, that is, if I can find them. As she said this, she came upon a neat little house, on the door of which was a bright brass plate with the name W. Rabbit engraved upon it. She went on without knocking and hurried upstairs in great fear, lest she would meet the real Mary Ann and be turned out of the house before she had found the fan and gloves. How queer it seems, Alice said to herself, to be going messages for a rabbit. I suppose Dinah will be sending me messages on next. Then she began fancying the sort of thing that would happen. Miss Alice, come here directly, and get ready for your walk. Coming in a minute, nurse. But I've got to see that the mouse doesn't get out. Only I don't think, Alice went on, that they'd let Dinah stop in the house if it began ordering people about like that. By this time, she had found her way into a tidy little room with a table in the window, and on it, as she had hoped, a fan and two or three pairs of tiny white kid gloves. She took up the fan and a pair of the gloves, and was going to leave the room when her eye fell upon a little bottle that stood near the looking glass. There was no label this time with the words drink me, but nevertheless she uncorked it and put it to her lips. I know something interesting is sure to happen, she said to herself. Whenever I eat or drink anything, so I'll just see what this bottle does. I do hope it'll make me grow large again, for really I'm quite tired of being such a tiny little thing. It did so indeed, and much sooner than she expected. Before she had drunk half the bottle, she found her head pressing against the ceiling and had to stoop to save her neck from being broken. She hastily put down the bottle, saying to herself, That's quite enough. I hope I shan't grow any more. As it is, I can't get out the door. I do wish I hadn't drunk quite so much. Alas, it was too late to wish that. She went on growing and growing and very soon had to kneel down on the floor. In another minute there was not even room for this and she tried the effect of lying down with one elbow against the door and the other arm curled round her head. She still went on growing and as a last resource she put one arm out of the window and one foot up the chimney and said to herself, now I can do no more. Whatever happens, what will become of me? Luckily for Alice, the little magic bottle had now had its full effect, and she grew no larger. Still, it was very uncomfortable, and as there seemed to be no sort of chance of her getting out of the room again, no wonder she felt unhappy. It was much pleasanter at home, thought poor Alice, when one wasn't always growing larger or smaller and being ordered about by mice and rabbits. I almost wish I hadn't gone down the rabbit hole. And yet, and yet, It's rather curious, you know, this sort of life. I do what can have happened to me. When I used to read fairy tales, I fancied that kind of thing never happened. And now, here I am in the middle of one. There ought to be a book written about me, that there ought. And when I grow up, I'll write one. But I'm grown up now, she added in a sorrowful tone. At least there's no room to grow up anymore here. But then, thought Alice, shall I never get any older than I am now? That'll be a comfort, one way. Never to be an old woman. But then, always to have lessons to learn. Oh, I shouldn't like that. Oh, you foolish Alice, she answered herself. How can you learn lessons in here? Why, there's hardly any room for you and no room at all for lesson books. And so she went on, taking first one side, and then the other, and making quite a conversation of it all together. But after a few minutes, she heard a voice outside, and stopped to listen. Mary Ann, Marianne, said the voice. fetch me my gloves at this moment. Then came a little pattering of feet on the stairs. Alice knew it was the rabbit coming to look for her, and she trembled till she shook the house, quite forgetting that she was now about a thousand times as large as the rabbit and had no reason to be afraid of it. Presently the rabbit came up to the door, and tried to open it, but as the door opened inwards, and Alice's elbow was pressed hard against it, that attempt proved a failure. Alice heard it say to itself, then I'll go around and get in the window. That you won't, thought Alice. After waiting till she fancied she heard the rabbit, just under the window, she suddenly spread out her hand, and made a snatch in the air. She did not get a hold of anything, but she heard a little shriek and a fall and a crash of broken glass, from which she concluded that it was possible it had fallen into the cucumber frame or something of that sort. Next came an angry voice, the rabbits. Pat, Pat, where are you? And then a voice she had never heard before. Sure then I'm here, digging for apples, your honor. Digging for apples indeed, said the rabbit angrily. Here, come and help me out of this. Sounds of more broken glass. Now, tell me, Pat, what's that in the window? Sure, it's an arm, your honor. He pronounced it arm. An arm, you goose. You ever saw one that size? Why, it fills the whole window. Sure it does, your honor, but it's an arm for all that. Well, it's got no business here, at any rate. Go and take it away. There was a long silence after this, and Alice could only hear whispers now and then, such as, sure, I don't like it, Your Honor, at all. Do as I tell you, coward. And at last she spread out her hand again and made another snatch for the air. This time there were two little shrieks and more sounds of broken glass what a number of cucumber frames there must be, thought Alice. I wonder what they'll do next. As for pulling me out of the window. I only wish they could. I'm sure I don't want to stay in here any longer. She waited for some time without hearing anything more. At last came a rumbling of little wheels, and the sound of a good many voices, all talking together. She made out the words, Where's the other ladder? Why, I hadn't to bring but one. Bill's got the other. Bill, fetch it here, lad. Here, put them up at this corner. No, tie em together first. They don't reach half high enough yet. Oh, they'll do well enough. Don't be particular. Here, Bill, catch hold of this rope. Will the roof bear? Mind that loose slate. Oh, it's coming down, heads below. A loud crash. Now, who did that? It was Bill, I fancy. Who's to go down the chimney? Nay, I shan't. You do it. That I won't, then. Bill's to go down. Here, Bill. The master says you're gonna go down in the chimney. Oh, so Bill's gotta come down the chimney, has he? Said Alice to herself. Shy, they seem to put everything upon Bill. I wouldn't be in Bill's place for a good deal. This fireplace is narrow to be sure, but I think I can kick a little. She drew her foot sewed far down the chimney as she could and waited till she heard a little animal and she couldn't guess of what sort it was. Scratching and scrambling about in the chimney close above her, then saying to herself, this is Bill. She gave one sharp kick and waited to see what would happen next. The first thing she heard was a general chorus of there goes bill then the rabbit's voice along catch him you by the hedge then silence and another confusion of voices hold up his head brandy now don't choke him how was it old fellow what happened to you tell us about it last came a little feeble squeaking voice that's bill thought alice well I hardly know, no more thank ye, I'm better now, but I'm a deal too flustered to tell you. All I know is something comes at me like a jack-in-the-box, and up I go like a skyrocket. So you did, old fellow, said the others. We must burn the house down, said the rabbit's voice, and Alice called out as long as she could. If you do, I'll set Dinah at you. There was a dead silence instantly, and Alice thought to herself, I wonder what they will do next. If they had any sense, they'd take the roof off. After a minute or two, they began moving about again, and Alice heard the rabbit say, A barrelful will do, to begin with. A barrowful of what? thought Alice. But she had not long to doubt. For the next moment, a shower of little pebbles came rattling in the window and some of them hit her face. I'll put a stop to this, she said to herself, and shouted out, You'd better not do that again which produced another dead silence. Alice noticed with some surprise that the pebbles were all turning into little cakes as they lay on the floor, and a bright idea came to her head. If I eat one of these cakes, she thought, it's sure to make some change of my size. And as it can't possibly make me larger, It must make me smaller, I suppose. So she swallowed one of these cakes and was delighted to find that she began shrinking directly. As soon as she was small enough to get through the door, she ran out of the house and found quite a crowd of little animals and birds waiting outside. The poor little lizard, Bill, was in the middle, being held up by two guinea pigs who were giving it something out of a bottle. They all made a rush at Alice the moment she appeared, but she ran off as hard as she could and soon found herself safe in a thick wood. The first thing I've got to do, said Alice to herself as she wandered about in the wood, is to grow to my right size again. And the second thing is to find my way into that lovely garden. I think that will be the best plan. It sounded like an excellent plan, no doubt and very neatly and simply arranged. The only difficulty was that she had not the smallest idea how to set about it, and while she was peering about anxiously among the trees, a little sharp bark just over her head made her look up in a great hurry. An enormous puppy was looking down at her with large, round eyes and feebly stretching out one paw, trying to touch her. Poor little thing, said Alice in a coaxing tone and she tried hard to whistle at it, but she was terribly frightened all the time at the thought that it might be hungry, in which case it would be very likely to eat her up in spite of all her coaxing. Hardly knowing what she said, she picked up a little bit of stick and held it out to the puppy, whereupon the puppy jumped into the air off all its feet at once with a yelp of delight and rushed at the stick and made believe to worry it. Then Alice dodged behind a great thistle to keep herself from being run over. The moment she appeared on the other side, the puppy made another rush at the stick and tumbled head over heels in its hurry to get a hold of it. Then Alice, thinking it was very like having a game of play with a cart horse and expecting every moment to be trampled under its feet, ran around the thistle again. Then the puppy began a series of short charges at the stick, running a very little way forwards each time and a long way back, and barking hoarsely all the while, till at last it sat down a good way off, panting with its tongue hanging out of its mouth, and the great eyes half shut. This seemed to Alice a good opportunity for making her escape, so she set off at once, and ran till she was quite tired and out of breath, until the puppy's bark sounded quite faint in the distance. And yet what a dear puppy it was, said Alice, as she leant against a buttercup to rest herself and fanned herself with one of the leaves. I should have liked teaching it tricks very much, if if only I'd been the right size to do it. Oh dear, I'd nearly forgotten that I've got to grow up again. Let me see this. How is it to be managed? I suppose I ought to eat or drink something or other. But the question is, what? The great question certainly was what. Alice looked around at all her flowers and the blades of grass, but she did not see anything that looked like the right thing to eat or drink under the circumstances. There was a large mushroom growing near her, about the same height as herself, and when she had looked under it, and on both sides of it, and behind it, it occurred to her that she might as well look and see what was on the top of it. She stretched herself up on tiptoe and peeped over the edge of the mushroom and her eyes immediately met those of a large caterpillar that was sitting on top with its arms folded, quietly smoking a long hookah and taking not the smallest notice of her or of anything else. Advice from a Caterpillar The caterpillar and Alice looked at each other for some time in silence. "'At last the caterpillar took the hookah out of its mouth "'and addressed her in a languid, sleepy voice. "'Who are you?' said the caterpillar. "'This was not an encouraging opening statement for a conversation,' "'Alice replied rather shyly. "'I I hardly know, sir. "'Just at present, I, at least I know who I was when I got up this morning, "'but I think I must have been changed up several times since then.' "'What do you mean by that?' said the caterpillar sternly. "'Explain yourself.' "'I can't explain myself, I'm afraid, sir,' said Alice, "'because I'm not myself, you see.' "'I don't see,' said the caterpillar. "'I'm afraid I can't put it more clearly,' Alice replied very politely, "'for I can't understand it myself to begin with, "'and being so many different sizes in a day is very confusing.' It isn't, said the caterpillar. Well, perhaps you haven't found it so yet. But when you have to turn into a chrysalis, you will some day, you know, and then after that into a butterfly, I should think you'll feel a little queer, won't you? Not a bit, said the caterpillar. Well, perhaps your feelings may be different, said Alice. All I know is it would feel very queer to me. You, said the caterpillar contemptuously. "'Who are you?' "'Which brought them back again to the beginning of the conversation. "'Alice felt a little irritated at the caterpillar making very short remarks, "'and she drew herself up and said very gravely, "'I think you ought to tell me who you are first.' "'Why?' said the caterpillar. "'There was another puzzling question, "'and as Alice could not think of a good reason,' As the caterpillar seemed to be in a very unpleasant state of mind, she turned away. Come back, said the caterpillar after her. I have something important to say. This sounded promising, certainly. Alice turned and came back again. Keep your temper, said the caterpillar. Is that all? said Alice, swallowing down her anger as well as she could. No, said the caterpillar. Alice thought she might as well wait, as she had nothing else to do, and perhaps after all, it might tell her something worth hearing. For some minutes it puffed away without speaking, but at last it unfolded its arms, took the hookah out of its mouth again, and said, "'So, you think you're changed, do you?' "'I'm afraid I am, sir,' said Alice. "'I can't remember things I used, and I don't keep the same size for ten minutes together.' Can't remember what things, said the caterpillar. Well, I've tried to say, how doth the little busy bee? But it all came different, Alice replied in a very melancholy voice. Repeat, you are old, Father William, said the caterpillar. Alice folded her hands and began. You are old, Father William, the young man said, and your hair has become very white and yet you incessantly stand on your head. Do you think, at your age, it is right? In my youth, Father William replied to his son, I feared it might injure my brain, but now that I am perfectly sure I have none, why, I do it again and again. You are old, said the youth, as I mentioned before, and have grown most uncommonly fat, yet you turned a black somersault in at the door, pray what is the reason of that in my youth said the sage as he shook his gray locks i kept all my limbs very supple by the use of this ointment one shilling the box allow me to sell you a couple you are old said the youth and your jaws are too weak for anything together than suet yet you have finished the goose with the bones in the beak pray how do you manage to do it In my youth, said his father, I took to the law and argued each case with my wife, and the muscular strength which it gave to my jaw had lasted the rest of my life. You are old, said the youth, one would hardly suppose that your eye was steady as ever, yet you balanced and eel on the end of your nose, what made you so awfully clever I have answered three questions and that is enough, said his father, don't give yourself airs, do you think I can listen all day to such stuff, be off or I'll kick you downstairs, that is not said right, said the caterpillar, not quite right I'm afraid, said Alice timidly, some of the words have got altered, it is wrong from beginning to end, said the caterpillar decidedly and there was a silence for some minutes, The caterpillar was the first to speak. What size do you want to be? It asked. Oh, I'm not particular as to size, Alice hastily replied. Only one doesn't like changing so often, you know. I don't know, said the caterpillar. Alice said nothing. She had never been so much contradicted in her life before, and she felt that she was losing her temper. Are you content now? Said the caterpillar. "'Well, I should like to be a little larger, sir, "'if you wouldn't mind,' said Alice. "'Three inches is such a wretched height to be.' "'It is a very good height indeed,' said the caterpillar angrily, "'rearing itself upright as it spoke. "'It was exactly three inches in height. "'But I'm not used to it,' pleaded poor Alice in a piteous tone. "'And she thought of herself. "'I wish the creatures wouldn't be so easily offended.' You'll get used to it in time," said the caterpillar, and it put the hookah into its mouth and began smoking again. This time Alice waited patiently until it chose to speak again. In a minute or two the caterpillar took the hookah out of its mouth, and yawned once or twice and shook itself. Then it got down off the mushroom and crawled away in the grass, merely remarking as it went, "One side will make you grow taller, and the other side will make you grow shorter. One side of what? The other side of what? Thought Alice to herself. The mushroom, said the caterpillar, just as if she had asked it out loud, and in another moment, it was out of sight. Alice remained looking thoughtfully at the mushroom for a minute, trying to make out which were the two sides of it, as it was perfectly round. She found this very difficult question, However, at last, she stretched her arms round it as far as they could go, broke off a bit of the edge with each hand. And now which is it? She said to herself, and nibbled a little bit of the right-hand bit, to try the effect. The next moment she felt a violent blow beneath her chin. It had struck her foot. She was a good deal frightened by this very sudden change, but she felt that there was no time to be lost as she was shrinking rapidly. So she set to work at once to eat some of the other bit. Her chin was pressed so closely against her foot that there was hardly any room to open her mouth. But she did at last, and managed to swallow a morsel of the left hand bit. Come, my head's free at last, said Alice in a tone of delight, which changed into alarm in another moment, when she found that her shoulders were nowhere to be found all she could see when she looked down was an immense length of neck which seemed to rise like a stalk out of the sea of green leaves that lay below her what can all that green stuff be said alice and where have my shoulders got to and oh my poor hands how is it i can't see you she was moving them about as she spoke but no result seemed to follow except a little shaking among the distant tree leaves. As there seemed to be no chance of getting her hands up to her head, she tried to get her head down to them, and was delighted to find that her neck would bend about easily in any direction, like a serpent. She had succeeded in curving it down into a graceful zigzag, and was going to dive in among the leaves, which she found to be nothing but the tops of trees under which she had been wandering in a sharp hiss made her draw back in a hurry a large pigeon had flown into her face and was beating her violently with its wings serpent screamed the pigeon I'm not a serpent said Alice indignantly let me alone serpent I say again repeated the pigeon but in a more subdued tone and ended with a kind of sob I've tried every way and everything seems to suit them "'I haven't the least idea what you're talking about,' said Alice. "'I've tried the roots of trees, and I've tried banks, and I've tried hedges,' the pigeon went on, without attending to her. "'But those serpents, there's no pleasing them.' Alice was more and more puzzled, but she thought there was no use in saying anything more till the pigeon had finished. "'As if it wasn't trouble enough, hatching the eggs,' said the pigeon.' but I must be on the lookout for serpents night and day. Why? I haven't had a wink of sleep these last three weeks. I'm very sorry you've been annoyed, said Alice, who was beginning to see its meaning. And just as I'd taken the highest tree in the wood, continued the pigeon, raising its voice in a shriek, and just as I was thinking, I should be free of them at last. They must needs come reeling down from the sky. Ah. Serpent. But I'm not the serpent I tell you, said Alice. I'm a. I'm a. Well, what are you? said the pigeon. I can see you're trying to invent something. I'm. I'm a little girl, said Alice, rather doubtfully, as she remembered the number of changes she had gone through that day. A likely story indeed, said the pigeon, in a tone of the deepest content. I've seen a good many little girls in my time, but never one with such a neck as that. No, no. You're a serpent, and there's no use denying it. I suppose you'll be telling me next you've never tasted an egg. I have tasted eggs, certainly, said Alice, who was a very truthful child, but little girls eat eggs quite as much as serpents do, you know. I don't believe it, said the pigeon, but if they do... Why, then they're a kind of serpent, that's all I can say. This was such a new idea to Alice that she was quite silent for a minute or two, which gave the pigeon an opportunity of adding, You're looking for eggs. I know that well enough. And what does it matter to me whether you're a little girl or a serpent? It matters a good deal to me, said Alice hastily. But I'm not looking for eggs, as it happens." And if I was, I shouldn't want yours. "'I don't like them raw.' "'Well, be off then,' said the pigeon in a sulky tone "'as it settled down into its nest. Alice crouched down among the trees as well as she could, "'for her net kept getting entangled among the branches, "'and every now and then she had to stop to untwist it. "'After a while she remembered "'that she still had the pieces of mushroom in her hands.' and she set to work very carefully, nibbling first at one and then the other, and growing sometimes taller, sometimes shorter, until she had succeeded in bringing herself down to her usual height. It was so long since she had been anything near the right size that it felt quite strange at first, but she got used to it in a few minutes and began talking to herself as usual. Come, there's half my plan done now how puzzling all these changes are. I'm never sure what I'm going to be from one minute to another. However, I've got back to my right size. The next thing is to get into that beautiful garden. How is this to be done, I wonder? And as she said this, she came suddenly upon an open place with a little house in it about four feet high. Whoever lives there, thought Alice, it'll never do to come upon them this size. Why, I should frighten them out of their wits. So she began nibbling at the right-hand bit again and did not venture to go near the house till she had brought herself down to nine inches high. Pig and Pepper. For a minute or two, she stood looking at the house and wondering what to do next when suddenly a footman in livery came running out of the wood. She considered him to be a footman because he was in livery. Otherwise, judging by his face only, she would have called him a fish and rapped loudly at the door with his knuckles. It was opened by another footman in the livery with a round face and large eyes like a frog, but both footmen, Alice noticed, had powdered hair that curled all over their heads. She felt very curious to know what that was all about and crept a little way out of the wood to listen. The fish footman began by producing from under his arm a great letter, nearly as large as himself, and this he handed over to the other, saying, in a solemn note, for the duchess, an invitation from the queen to play croquet. The frog footman repeated in the very same tone, only changing the order of his words a little, from the queen, an invitation for the duchess to play croquet. Then they both bowed low, and their curls got entangled together. Alice laughed so much at this that she ran back into the wood for fear of them hearing her. And when she next peeped out, the fish footman was gone, and the other was sitting on the ground near the door, staring stupidly into the sky. Alice went timidly up to the door and knocked. There's no sort of use in knocking, said the footman, and that for two reasons. First, because I'm on the same side of the door as you are, Secondly, because they're making such noise inside, no one could possibly hear you. And certainly, there was a more extraordinary noise going on within, a constant howling and sneezing, and every now and then a great crash, as if a dish or kettle had been broken to pieces. Please then, said Alice, how am I going to get in? There might be some sense in your knocking, the footman went on outside, Attending to her If we had the door between us For instance If you were inside You might knock I could let you out You know He was looking up into the sky All the time he was speaking And this Alice thought decidedly uncivil But perhaps he can't help it She said to herself His eyes are so very nearly At the top of his head But at any rate He might answer questions How am I to get in? she repeated aloud. I shall sit here, the footman remarked, till tomorrow. At this moment, the door of the house opened, and a large plate came skimming out, straight at the footman's head. It just grazed his nose, and broke to pieces against one of the trees behind him. Or the next, maybe. The footman continued in the same tone, exactly as if nothing happened. "'How am I to get in?' asked Alice again, in a louder tone. "'Are you to get in at all?' said the footman. "'That's the first question, you know.' "'It was, no doubt. "'Only Alice did not like to be told so. "'It's really dreadful,' she muttered to herself. "'The way all the creatures argue. "'It's enough to drive one crazy.' "'The footman seemed to think this was a good opportunity "'for repeating this remark, with variations.' "'I shall sit here,' he said, on and off, for days and days. "'What am I to do?' said Alice. "'Anything you like,' said the footman, and began whistling. "'Oh, there's no use in talking to him,' said Alice desperately. "'He's perfectly idiotic.' And she opened the door and went in. The door led right into the kitchen, which was full of smoke from one end to the other. The duchess was sitting on a three-legged stool in the middle, nursing a baby, and the cook was leaning over the fire, stirring a large cauldron which seemed to be full of soup. There's certainly too much pepper in that soup, Alice said to herself, as well as she could for sneezing. There was certainly too much of it in the air. Even the duchess sneezed occasionally. And as for the baby, it was sneezing and howling alternately, without a moment's pause. The only things in the kitchen that did not sneeze with a cook, and a large cat which was sitting on the hearth and grinning from ear to ear. Please would you tell me, said Alice, a little timidly, for she was not quite sure whether it was good manners for her to speak first, why your cat grinned like that. It's a Cheshire cat, said the Duchess, and that's why. Pig. She said the last word with such sudden violence that Alice quite jumped, but she saw in another moment, that it was addressed to the baby, and not to her. So she took courage and went on again. I didn't know the Cheshire cats always grinned. In fact, I didn't know that cats could grin. They all can, said the Duchess, and most of them do. I don't know of any that do, Alice said very politely, feeling quite pleased to have gotten into a conversation. You don't know much, said the Duchess, and that's a fact. Alice did not like all the tone of this remark and thought it would be as well to introduce some of the other subject of the conversation. While she was trying to fix on one, the cook took the cauldron of soup off the fire and at once set to work throwing everything within her reach at the duchess and the baby. The fire irons came first, then followed a shower of saucepans, plates, and dishes. The duchess took no notice of them even when they hit her and the baby was howling so much already that it was quite impossible to say whether the blows hurt or not. Oh, please mind what you're doing, cried Alice, jumping up and down in agony and terror. Oh, there goes his precious nose, as an unusually large saucepan flies close by it and very nearly carried it off. As somebody minded their own business, the duchess said in a hoarse growl, the world would go around a deal faster than it does. Which would not be an advantage, said Alice, who felt very glad to get an opportunity of showing off a little of her knowledge. Just think of what work it would make with a day and night. You see, the earth takes 24 hours to turn around on its axis. Talking of axes, said the Duchess, chop off her head. Alice glanced rather anxiously at the cook to see if she meant to take the hint, but the cook was busily stirring the soup and seemed not to be listening, so she went on again. Twenty-four hours, I think, or is it twelve? I, oh, don't bother me, said the duchess. I could never abide figures. And with that she began nursing her child again, singing a sort of lullaby to it as she did so and giving it a violent shake at the end of every line. Speak roughly, to your little boy, and beat him when he sneezes. He only does it to annoy, because he knows it teases. Chorus, in which the cook and the baby joined. Wow, wow, wow. While the Duchess sang the second verse of the song, she kept tossing the baby violently up and down. The poor little thing howled so, that Alice could hardly hear the words. I speak severely to my boy. I beat him when he sneezes, for he can thoroughly enjoy the pepper when he pleases. Chorus. Wow, wow, wow. Here, you may nurse it for a bit if you like, the duchess said to Alice, flinging the baby at her as she spoke. I must go and get ready to play croquet with the queen. And she hurried out of the room. The cook threw a frying pan after her as she went out, but it missed her. Alice caught the baby with some difficulty, as it was a queer-shaped little creature, and she held out its arms and legs in all directions, just like a starfish thought Alice. The poor thing was nothing like a steam engine when she caught it and kept doubling itself up and straightening itself out again, so that altogether, for the first minute or two, it was as much as she could do to hold it. As soon as she had made out the proper way of nursing it, which was to twist up in a sort of knot and then kept tight hold of its right ear and left foot so as to prevent it from undoing itself, she carried it out into the open air. If I don't take this child away with me, thought Alice, they're sure to kill it in a day or two. Wouldn't it be murder to leave behind? She said the last words out loud, and the little thing grunted in reply. It had left off sneezing by this time. Don't grunt, said Alice. That's not at all the proper way of expressing yourself. The baby grunted again, and Alice looked very anxiously into the face to see what was the matter with it. There could be no doubt that it had a very turned-up nose, which was more like a snout than a real nose. Also, its eyes were getting extremely small for a baby. Although Alice did not like the look of the thing at all, But perhaps it was only sobbing, she thought, and looked into its eyes again, to see if there were any tears. No, there were no tears. If you're going to turn into a pig, my dear, said Alice, seriously, I'll have nothing more to do with you. Mine now. The poor little thing sobbed again, or grunted. It was impossible to say which, and they went on for some while in silence. Alice was just beginning to think to herself, Now, what am I to do with this creature when I get it home? When it grunted again so violently that she looked down into its face in some alarm, this time there could be no mistake about it. It was neither more nor less than a pig, and she felt that it had been quite absurd for her to carry it further. So she set the little creature down, and it felt quite relieved to see her trot away quietly into the wood. If it had grown up, she said to herself, It would have made a dreadfully ugly child, but it makes a rather handsome pig, I think. And she began thinking over the other children she knew, who might do very well as pigs, and was just saying to herself, if one only knew the right way to change them, when she was a little startled at seeing the Cheshire cat sitting on the bow of a tree a few rods off. The cat only grinned when it saw Alice, it looked good nature, she thought. Still, it had very long claws and a great many teeth, so she felt that it ought to be treated with respect. Cheshire pushed, she began, rather timidly, as she did not know at all whether it would like the name. However, it only grinned a little wider. Come, it's pleased so far, thought Alice, and she went on. Would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? That depends a good deal on where you want to go, said the cat. I don't much care where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you want to go, said the cat. So long as I go somewhere, Alice added as an explanation. Oh, you're sure to do that, said the cat, if you only walk long enough. Alice felt that this could not be denied, so she tried another question. What sort of people live about here? In that direction, the cat said, waving its right paw around, lives a hatter. And in that direction, waving the other paw, lives a March hare. Visit either you like, they're both mad. But I don't want to go among mad people, Alice remarked. Oh, you can't help that, said the cat. We're all mad here. I'm mad. You're mad. How do you know I'm mad, said Alice. You must be, said the cat, or you wouldn't have come here. Alice didn't think that proved it at all. However, she went on. And how do you know that you're mad? To begin with, said the cat, a dog's not mad. You grant that? I suppose so, said Alice. Well then, the cat went on. You see, a dog growls when it's angry and wags its tail when it's pleased. Now I growl when I'm pleased, and I wag my tail when I'm angry, therefore I'm mad. I call it purring, not growling, said Alice. Call it what you like, said the cat. Do you play croquet with the queen today? I should like it very much, said Alice, but I haven't been invited yet. You'll see me there, said the cat, and vanished. Alice was not much surprised by this. She was getting so used to queer things happening. While she was looking at the same place where it had been, it suddenly appeared again. By the by, what became of the baby, said the cat, i nearly forgotten to ask. It turned into a pig, Alice quietly said, just as it had come back in a natural way. I thought it would, said the cat, and vanished again. Alice waited a little, half expecting to see it again, but it did not appear. And after a minute or two, she walked on in the direction in which the March hare was said to live. I've seen hatters before, she said to herself. The March hare will be the most interesting. And perhaps, as this is May, it won't be raving mad. At least not so mad as it was in March. As she said this, she looked up, and there was the cat again, sitting on the branch of a tree. Did you say pig or fig, said the cat. I said pig replied Alice and I wish you wouldn't keep appearing and vanishing so suddenly you make one quite giddy. All right said the cat and this time it vanished quite slowly beginning with the end of the tail, and ending with the grin which remained some time after the rest of it had gone. Well I've often seen a cat without a grin thought Alice but a grin without a cat It's the most curious thing I ever saw in my life. She had not gone much farther than before she came in sight of the house of a March Hare. She thought it must be the right house because the chimneys were shaped like ears and the roof was thatched with fur. It was so large a house that she did not like to go near till she nibbled some more of the left-hand bit of the mushroom and raised herself to be about two feet high. Even then she walked up toward it rather timidly, saying to herself, Suppose it should be raving mad after all. I almost wish I'd gone to see the hatter instead. Thank you for listening to Sleepy. Good night.